Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mano, joined as always by Chris Begay. Hey, Chris. Hey, Rachel. What's going on? Not much. What are we talking about this week? Well, okay. So uh, why don't we just catch up with each other for a little bit and talk about what's been going on in our lives? Does that sound like a good plan here for this particular episode? Sure. So I wanted to kind of let you know that... Um, Tucker, you know, I have a son, Tucker, you've met him before. He's been on the podcast before. Um, he, uh, when I say you've met him, you've met him uh, via... It feels like conference. I met him in real life. <laughs> <laughs> he is, has his learner's permit, and we've been going out driving together. And um, it's been mostly me as the as the driving coach, if you will, you know. What do you think you did there? How, what do you think you do differently next time, you know? Um, and as we've been driving around, something that has kind of struck me is... How much, you know how I love my metaphors, right? Uh, how much driving is like AAC implementation or more like language, meaning there's so much communication that happens between you, the driver, and all the other people on the road and the pedestrians and everyone else out there, you know, and I was thinking about it like turn signals, the horn, um, if you slow down, if you flash your lights, if you, um, there's so much nonverbal communication, but it's so crucial. And, and I was also thinking that like driving is very much like language in that it is this shared rule set, you know, there's these rules, you follow them. Um, and you learn them over time, you know, uh, and because we have these these shared rules of the road, you know, like, you know, you turn your high beams off when someone's coming, you know, at night, you know, um, uh, there's little things like that that are just the, the rules of the road are sort of like language in that there's rules to to help us have this shared experience with each other. Am I, am I making any sense? Yeah, no, I think it makes perfect sense. And I also think like, think about how hard your brain is working when you're first learning how to drive. Like you're like really thinking like, okay, I'm about to turn, get my turn signal, go. Okay, now I'm about to stop, like need to look both ways. Now, right, we're thinking about it automatically. And then what happens over time is we learn the motor plans, the same way we learn the motor plans on AAC systems. And so I think the initial stages, like that's what kids are doing. They're like, okay, what do I need to do? Where do I need to find that word? Where is it? And then eventually it becomes more automatic. 100%. And and I, what's so important about that, and I have that in the back of my mind when I'm talking to Tucker, is like, all right, he's got to learn the motor plan that when you're pulling up to make a turn, to turn your turn signal on. Because if he learns certain like motor plans the wrong way, well, then he's got to break those bad habits and learn new habits, you know, like easing into a turn, you know, and if he's too kind of jerky with it, then, and he thinks that's how you make the turn, well, then he's got to break the pattern, you know? So it's so important to kind of establish the right way from the beginning so it's less work for him later to break it. And I feel like that's the same analogy with AAC. Totally. I also think we can talk about coaching, like having someone there with you, like that's how people learn how to drive. And I have a sort of related story in relation to coaching. I was actually like on the, a call with one of my clients the other day. We just finished an AAC consult and... Um, the way I set my consultation is like a package. So I realized like after like a year or two, I was like, yeah, it's not really working. This whole like assessment model. Like I was like, people were dropping off. Like it was just like, it didn't feel like I was emphasizing uh, implementation enough. So anyway, people come to see me and then included it's a bundled thing. So you have to like work with me after just to like work on implementation, work on coaching, all those things for a short amount of time. 
And then afterwards, I usually transition people to like, you know, a monthly consult or every other week or sometimes weekly if parents are really eager for parent coaching. So it just kind of depends. But I got on a call with someone who had just finished and I felt like I was really trying to sell the coaching and I felt like they didn't think it was important. And so I was like, oh, like, how do I explain this in a way that like you understand? Because it was like, yeah, well, we kind of understand. Like, we just want you to give us the words to work on and then like we can do it. And I'm like, sure, like I can give you a list of words, but like the reality is it's not that easy, it's not that simple, and like it's an ever-changing process, right? Like we're never like perfect communication partners. It's always something we're striving to be better at, and having a coach to support you and your team um, is the best way to see success. Um, and I think people get really like caught up in the like goals and the vocabulary and like the technicalities of the system, and then they forget that like it's actually like an art figuring out how to use this system in a way that's motivating that will translate into like actual communication that's independent and autonomous and so yeah i just like kept going back and forth and like it was a really tough conversation and then at one point it was like so like in an ideal situation like what would you have me do because it was like we love you rachel like we want you to be a part of this but like we don't really know like if it's really necessary it was kind of this like back and forth and i was really confused i was like how can i support you guys like and so of course they talked about like here's what i think should happen here's what i've seen success with and then at one point, I was like, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't even think they, they knew. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was just like an interesting conversation. And it made me think it's really hard sometimes to sell this coaching model, especially because it's not super common practice. So like people think of speech therapy as like coming to an office or like going, you know, having someone come to your home and like working directly with your child. Um, and so anytime I think we're doing something different, it's kind of like, well, what is this? Like, I don't really know what this is. Um, and you have to give it time to see the benefit too, you know? You know what, Rachel, when you look back at the episodes with the parents that we've, we've talked to on this podcast, I don't recall any single one of them saying, well, the speech therapist fixed it for us. Do you know, it's never that story. It was, they may have pointed in a direction. They were a good guide. Uh, we've heard them say that, oh, thank goodness we found so-and-so and they helped us along. But every single parent we've talked to has been, we did it. You know, we're, 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 we did the work. There's no way around that. Someone's not going to come in and make it happen for you. They can make it happen with you, you know, but they can't just do it for you. Yeah. And even like I've worked with families that are just like, we don't want a coaching model. We want you to like come in and do this. And I'm like, all right, I guess like, I guess that's better than nothing, but like, it's not optimal. So sometimes we have to do what's maybe not optimal, but like it's better than nothing, um, which is hard for me to like wrap my head around, but I do it. <laughs> I do it anyway. Um, but the reality is like every time I'm doing like direct treatment, I always feel like this isn't going to generalize. Like this isn't like I'm not the communication partner that like needs to be making progress with this child and connecting. Like it's the parents, it's the siblings, it's the peers. It's like everybody that this child wants to connect with. And I have good relationships with the kids that I work with, but it's still like, I'm just like a, you know, like on the outside in, in a lot of ways of this child's life. The only reason you're bringing me in is because you need support with communication, right? Like if, if your child was communicating, like you wouldn't need me. <laughs> so it's just like, when I think about it that way, I'm just like, I want you to connect better with your child. I want your child to be able to like connect with his peers and his siblings, not me. And I feel like that's what I'm doing when I'm working directly with a student. I'm building connections with them. Again, great for therapy, great for modeling strategies, all those things. But ultimately, it's not really moving the needle for communication in a meaningful way that's going to like actually translate to 
to actual skills outside of our therapy sessions. Well, you know, we've talked about this many times. You know, I couldn't agree more. I feel like that's a whole dynamic change. And I feel like the the needle did move in a big way when the pandemic struck because we saw more people doing coaching. And I hope that people don't rush back. You know, people listening to this podcast, yes, we've heard this before, Chris, right? We, we know we, we need to be, we need, we're going to change the whole dynamic of what speech therapy is so it's more coaching. I know. I don't know when it'll, it'll change. I think it's like change is hard and like people resist it. So it's like, this isn't the way we do things. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think that the story you were just telling, that those people, you know, they were having the back and forth with, that um, maybe they just weren't ready to hear it now? You know, like they'll be back in three months and they'll be like, okay, yeah, now, 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 now I'm ready. You know, I, yeah, you gave us the list of words and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So yes, give it to us now, you know? Well, and that's part of the problem is like, it's kind of like when you are talking with a friend and you're like, I've already been down that road and I know exactly what you should do, but like, you can't say it. Like they have to go down the struggle, the, the, the struggle path <laughs> and so they have to find their way back. Yeah, you can't just tell them to break up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't break, they're not going to break <laughs> up with the guy. Exactly. We've all. <laughs> had that friend and we're like oh this is bad like but you won't listen to me so exactly and I feel like that's what this is like I I've seen what happens when like I'm not like at least like on a consult monthly with families it just like all drops off the same way anything does like if you're like yeah I'll go to the gym like as needed (laughs) like you're never gonna make progress you know like it's just like and, I, and that was the mistake that I made in the beginning of my practice was like, I left too much room for like interpretation and flexibility um, instead of being like, here's my clinical recommendations. Um, and now I'm like very outright. So like now I like need to like send a follow-up, I feel like email and say, I'm willing to support you guys in whatever way you feel like is, is needed. But let me tell you my experience. It's that if we just do things as needed, a lot of time, a lot of time is wasted where we could have been making gains. I could have been supporting you. And also like this specific client, he makes really fast progress. Like every week I'm like, okay, now do this, now do this. And it's like, you need guidance even more when kids are making fast progress because there's always places to keep going and exploring and new vocabulary and ways to implement that vocabulary. And so anyway, I don't know if like they'll come back, um, see the light. <laughs> I hope so. A lot of families have. Um, and I think, like I said, clinically, I'm more outright about like what I need to see happen in order to see progress, which I wasn't always like that in the beginning of my practice. Mm-hmm. You learned, you grew. Yeah. So another place where I think people have um, embraced the idea of coaching and working with communication partners are AAC camps. And this is the time of year where people are starting to look for those going, okay, what are we doing this summer? You know, what's uh, what's camp going to look like? Um, and with, uh, with the summer rolling up on us, it looks like, you know, more vaccines are out. People are, might be having more in-person experiences. Um, and that's what our, our interview is today. It's with uh, two people that have put together an AAC camp. Amazing. In fact, these two people were brought to us from Michaela. So Michaela, you know, our fantastic audio engineer that makes us sound so perfect every each and every week. Um, she is in a graduate program uh, getting her um, speech language pathology degree. And two of her two of the people that she's learning from were running an AAC camp and she said hey would you like to come on the podcast and and she asked us hey would you like to have them on the podcast and we said hey no 
know your stay in your lane, Michaela. Absolutely, you not. are the audio engineer. You cannot uh, suggest content. No, no, of course we didn't say that. We were like, yes, of course, of course. Uh, we'd love to hear about AAC camps and people who have been doing it successfully for many years. And so that's what this interview is. I got to talk to Mary Van Donsel and Ann Colmeyer, and they are going to tell us all about AAC camps. Here at Talking With Tech, we're excited to partner with Smiles for Speech. This organization provides children with special needs living in impoverished communities the intervention and resources needed to help children reach their full potential. Smiles for Speech aims to provide long-term sustainable solutions for children worldwide. Their mission is to distribute educational materials, provide training to teachers and families without access to appropriate intervention, and to create global awareness on the importance of therapeutic services to support children in need. With your help, Smiles for Speech will continue to broaden their reach in assisting children living in disadvantaged communities gain access to the therapy services and education they need to thrive. To support this organization, go to smilesforspeech.org to learn more about this organization and to offer your support. That's smilesforspeech.org. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with two fantastic educators, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves so I don't mess up their names. So, Anne, do you want to go first? Sure. So, I'm Anne Kohlmeyer. I'm a speech-language pathologist, I'm a clinical program coordinator for St. Luke's Children's Rehab in Boise, Idaho. And my name's Mary Van Donzel, and I'm a speech-language pathologist and a clinical associate professor um, within the CSD department at Idaho State University. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here today. So I think the topic of our conversation today is mostly going to be about AAC camps. Um, but to, to, to lead us into that, well, tell us a little bit about your experience with AAC. How did you get interested in it? How did you get involved in AAC? What's your, your experience with it that led you to this eventuality of creating a camp? So Mary, do you want to go first or... Sure. Um, in graduate school, I actually had an AAC and assistive technology course that I had to take um, getting out into the real world of speech pathology 20 years ago. Um, there were people who did AAC and it wasn't me. And so I didn't really have a mentor to um, lead me. And when I moved to Idaho um, just about 10 years ago, I started um, work at a pediatric rehab um, center that they all did AAC. So when I was given an AAC person, they just said here, and they gave me a little bit of information, I guess, to build my confidence. And I just ran with it and have just developed this huge passion for helping others communicate in whatever form that is. Um, and when I came to Idaho State University, I have had the great pleasure to be able to work with some of our professors, but also be connected with Anne, who's been um, a great colleague through our AAC camp experience, but also a good mentor to talk about AAC things. So, Excellent. So that's a great segue into Anne. So tell us about yeah. how you got interested in AAC. So um, way back in the 80s, when I was an externship student, I worked at University of Nebraska Medical Center and was 
my or was privy to my mentor being Faith Carlson, who developed Dynasims. Um, first, it was Pixims, and then it turned into Dynasims before they went into Mayor Johnson pictures that you know today. Anyway, she was the AAC guru along um, for the Meyer Children's Rehabilitation Center. She trained me um, at the time when they were just starting to have devices um, a little bit more. Then I moved to California, worked for Santa Clara County Office of Ed and work significantly with the orthopedic population, the autistic population. And then 25 years ago, moved to Idaho. Well, while I was in California, I actually took a child from there to the Talking with Tech camp in Colorado. Was there at the same time as Cassie Simonatelli, and I'm gonna butcher her name, sorry. Um, but we, had an awesome experience with going to camp with someone. Now I will say that the camper that I took, who was in a wheelchair, had cerebral palsy, was using a light writer um, at the, or a light talker, sorry, PRC system. Um, first time away from camp, very scared, lost 10 pounds that she didn't couldn't afford to lose, right? And my experience of being very fearful with the fact that I had to feed her as well as help her to communicate um, kind of hit home about this week-long camp experience for being away from home and family, and but immersed in the AAC. So then fast forward, in 1996, we moved to Idaho. I start seeing AAC patients, I start talking to them about, well, how come, you know, they don't get any kind of socialization experience. They don't see anybody with AAC using AAC. They're the only one in their town. They're the only one in their school that's got AAC. Like, maybe we should start a camp. Let's, let's start a camp, right? And have kids all come together. But because I didn't really want to be responsible for taking kids into the wilderness and spending overnight. And we didn't really have a wheelchair accessible camp at that time in Idaho. We decided to go with more of a traditional day camp kind of experience. Um, at that time, there were a couple people that were at ISU, but that I kept talking to and community leaders, the Idaho Assistive Technology Project. Um, I was getting connected with them. They were all very interested in this camp idea and they were more than willing to support us. So pretty soon I had money behind me. I needed counselors, we needed free um, laborers, right? Who, who better than students to be that hands-on learning experience because I want a one-to-one -one ratio of a counselor to a camper experience. And we held our first camp in 2006. We've been going ever since until last year when COVID hit and we had to shut down having in-person camps. But that's kind of how we got started. So tell us a little bit about the camp and how it exists now. Like, what's the structure of it? If, um, uh, I mean, is it a week long? Is it longer than that? And what would somebody who went to the camp, what would their experience look like? 
Okay. So, um, well, it's definitely different now in COVID. So uh, I'll back up and tell a little bit. It was a week on camp. It originally started like on a Monday. We did like half day of training with the counselors into AAC. And then we brought the campers in. It's now changed to the fact that it's one full day of camper training. Um, and then, two, so that's Monday, and then Tuesday through Saturday is the actual camp experience, and campers come from nine to three. There's structured activities in the morning that they rotate through, and then the afternoon is kind of a large group activity, because we were burning kids out by noon, and they were just kind of like dying on the vine with all of this sudden immersion in AAC, they, they couldn't take a full day of communicating when they weren't used to it. So we we now intersperse a lot more breaks and a lot more movement and things like that. But the counselors really are facilitating the campers into a social engagement. And families are a real critical piece. They get to hang out at the camp um, and there's different trainings for them. So we have the pediatric physiatrist come and talk on um, health issues and things that might happen inpatient for them. We have an OT that talks on sensory and behavior. We have another speech pathologist that helps us, um, Christy Butler, that works in the school system, and she talks on IEPs and how to go through the IEP process with the AAC. And Mary will do a presentation, and I'll do presentations. And so there's more of an emphasis in training this whole team when they leave camp than just this is a camp fun experience. You're just coming for this time and then you're gone. And can I dig into some of the questions you have there before we talk about how you had to pivot for in the pandemic? Right. Let's let's talk about it because because presumably the pandemic will be coming to an end and we'll be going back. And, and at some point we can have these these sorts of uh, experiences again. And and I think one of the takeaways we want from this podcast is people to listen to your experiences and go, hmm, maybe we could create a camp. So, and you said that the Monday was for the camp counselors and you do a full day of training for the camp counselors. So can you talk a little bit about like who the, are they high school students that come and you train and what does that training look like? Okay. And, and I'll have Mary chime in too, because she's actually the person that's handling that piece of it. So we have um, counselors that we take that are either professionals in the field. So SLPs that are working or OTs that are coming from a child's school program. It was important from, uh, from the Idaho Assistive Technology Project that we're training people out in Idaho to know how to carry on this AT. So um, but then we also wanted to take care of the new professionals coming out into the field that'll have a better experience with AAC. So Mary's that person that handles all the counselors. Then we might take high school students that want to volunteer, that want to help in the room, want to learn a little bit more. We've actually had med students, OT students, and SOPs, although the primary people are usually SLPs. So Mary, I'll let you kind of fill in gaps um, that I missed. 
Sure. Um, so our at ISU, we have a cohort of students who are required to take AAC camp as part of their summer clinical rotations. Um, so they get about 25 hours of clinical hours um, because we have enough SLPs that are helping to supervise with the week-long camp. Um, and so we include them and we invite um, some of our other cohorts. We have three different cohorts, our Pocatello students, as well as our online students. We invite them if they'd like to come and volunteer. We usually take about 35, I be think between 30, um, maybe it's more 30, Anne, um, yeah. about 30 <laughs> counselors. And, you know, we about 25 of those are our students. And then, um, you know, there's other between three and five, like Anne said, sometimes they're paraprofessionals, sometimes they're teachers um, in the community. OTs have come before med students. Um, we also try to gain, like Anne said, um, high school students or I teach some undergrad classes and have connections with that. Um, and so we ask them to come and help us develop the activities um, and stay during the week for volunteer and exposure to children who, you know, have these complex communication needs. Um, so most of our students are just finishing their first year. They've not really had their AAC class yet. Um, I've probably reached out to them. So we've developed a training course on um, Moodle, which is sort of like Blackboard or um, I forget the other one that's out yeah. there yeah, that this. we use for the classroom. Yes, <laughs> that we use for the classroom. Um, so we've developed a Moodle course that all of our counselors go through that just gives them the basics of knowledge that they should know for AAC. Things like what is AAC, the difference between using a low tech board and a speech generating device. We talk about core vocabulary, what that means, um, aided language stimulation and using modeling to help promote communication. And then on the day, the first day on that Monday, we train our counselors um, and spend the whole day. They get exposure to the devices that they'll be using with their campers, um, a little bit more specific training in the morning. And then the afternoon, we kind of give them a mock camp where they have to go around and visit all the different rooms just to give them confidence, I think. Um, an exposure on something that they really don't, most of them don't have any experience with AAC when they come to camp. What, what an I, awesome experience. I would say the key thing that made a difference the last couple years is that in borrowing the devices, we had the counselors hold on to the devices during the week so that they could model right along with the kids, right? It's the whole thing that's coming out now, but we yes. made sure that they kept using the devices all through camp. So in this way, they're not necessarily modeling on uh, a student's personal device. They're using a, a sibling device, a mirrored device that's kind of side by side so that um, you're not touching what the, st the student's own personal equipment. And they could really have a conversation back and forth in yeah. that sense, too. Gosh, it sounds so awesome. Um, let's talk about the then the the rest of the week. Um, you had said that the family members that come, it really sounded like a like a mini conference that they were coming to, participating in in sessions with professionals, kind of teaching them. Is there moments where well, let's talk about this first. What do the users do then? The communication users, are they participating in like making crafts and playing games? And what does the camp experience look like? 
So there's um, four main activities that they rotate through. So each of the groups, they'll have maybe six to seven campers, six to seven counselors, and then somebody to run each particular pod. And there's arts and crafts, and there's movement, and there's computer lab, and then there's either drama or science or music or games is another one, games and chat. And so they'll just rotate every 45 minutes through a new activity. And each one will have a set of activities to do, um, mm -hmm. things that are planned for them, big core boards on the walls. And here's your target vocabulary for the day, right? This is what you're going to focus on. Over the years, we've honed in on what keeps everybody focused and moving along. Awesome. Oh my gosh. I, I so want to go. It sounds amazing. <laughs> we would love to have you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do the, the family members then that are participating, like, like I said, they, you know, like you said, they go off to like this conference as their moments where they interact together, they're doing, they're playing yes. games together. You learn this in this session. Now go actually practice it over in this set with your, with your family. We, we aren't doing enough of that. I would say so Monday, um, the, the most favorite number one activity of all the campers is to go swimming, mm -hmm. right? So Monday's the first or, or Tuesday. Tuesday's the first day Tuesday. of yep. <laughs> first day of camp. Tuesday afternoon, they're going swimming. While they're swimming, they don't need their devices in the pool, right? So those devices and myself and the parents are sitting in a room practicing mm -hmm. and kind of using that that to learn. We've given siblings that have come to camp more of the devices and used throughout the week and they follow their sib sister or brother along with it, but not so much. The parents do a little bit and then practice and then it's how to get the parents more engaged. That's our ongoing challenge mm -hmm. um, throughout it. Because if they live in town, they're less likely to spend the whole day with us. They go off to work. It's the people that are coming from Canada or Washington or outside the Treasure Valley area that really learn a whole lot more. Let, Mary, let me ask you that real quick. I heard you say somewhere between 30 and 35 counselors. What is the population of the camp typically? And it sounds like, like in my mind, it would start out thinking just, well, these are people in Idaho, but it, you just mentioned, and you got people coming from everywhere. So yeah. what is, what does that population look like? And from where? Um, they're, they're from, I mean, definitely all over Idaho. I know we have one um, that comes down like, you know, from the very Northern tip of Idaho. Um, you know, we've had them come from Canada, from Washington, um, you know, all throughout. So not just in Boise's in the Treasure Valley area. So we have some that come from, you know, the Magic Valley, which is kind of the middle part of the state and even um, in Pocatello. And I know for counselors, we've had students come from Utah State University. Um, they hear about us. And so, you know, they ask if they can participate and we can provide them those clinical hours. So it really just varies. I think they come from Washington, from Oregon, um, really who... Um, who gets word of our camp and they have to come 
Yeah, they have so, to come. I've heard about yeah, it. It's they have so to. Awesome. It's great, to a great experience, right? <laughs> so uh, I will tell you that each time, like I presented at Closing the Gap back in mm-hmm. 2014, I think it was. And somebody, another speech pathologist heard me. She went to Canada and told a family there, and then they came to camp. And that's, or we market with the vendors, right? So mm-hmm. the more you give your contact and your information marketing flyers to the reps then they take it out and the virtual camp this year like I don't know how people in Florida and Texas found out about us but they registered right so we even more so it's been spreading that 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 person wasn't Kathy Howery was it <laughs> no, but I, Kathy, and I worked together on the Canada. So the Canada camp, um, several years ago, those people, like you said, started talking to us and saying, "We want a camp. We we want a camp up here. We it's really nice to come to Idaho, but it's too far. So can we have a right. camp up in Canada?" And so then I helped them get a camp started. Last year, they were in their third year of having camp, and they were able to pivot from having an in-person camp to a virtual camp because their camp had is in August, the last week in August. And Kathy Howery and I both presented to the parents um, at that camp. So this, uh, this, this sounds like an awesome segue to, so what happened during the pandemic and what are you planning for this upcoming summer? Like we're currently recording here in early March. Um, and so last year, and what do you got planned for the future? <laughs> Mary, do you want to take that one or you? <laughs> oh, sure. So we, we can't, we usually have our camp the first week in June, mainly because, you know, the ISU students are crucial for the camp to run successfully because they're paired. So it's a one-on-one pairing with the campers. So last year with everything, um, Anna and I just decided that, you know, if we wanted to cancel, we had to cancel camp. Um, but we got to thinking about how to continue to move forward. And Anne participated with the camp that's run in Canada. Um, but we still felt, you know, between talking with some of our campers who we see, you know, as clients or parents that we know, they were really still missing that connection of camp. And these students, you know, these campers are isolated just like we are. And it's just as hard on them not to have that interaction with. With their peers as it is to have, you know for everyone else so we came up with the idea of trying um a virtual camp experience with the students um and we planned that for it's just a two-hour activity and we said well let's try october it ended up being october 31st i think on halloween and let's try that and see how it goes um and we did that we were able to get enough of our students who would just volunteer their time because due to a lot of things related to things going virtual we weren't able to count it as clinical hours and so they gave up their time and used it as volunteer hours just to gain the experience. And it was so successful that we um, we decided to do four all together. So we did one um, at the end of January. We have another one coming up at the end of March. And our last one this year will be at the end of May. 
You know, Mary, you're speaking there about something that is really near and dear to uh, to, to me personally, but also I think the listeners of podcasts in general is that you're talking that those students, they just wanted to learn. It doesn't matter <laughs> that I'm getting CEUs. It doesn't matter that I'm getting credit right. for for hours. I, I need the experience because I want to get better at this skill. And that's yes. the heart of learning, right? And I think so yes. many people that listen to this podcast do that exact same thing. Like, yeah, I don't get credit for listening to this. It just right. makes me better at what I do. So right. good on good on them, on those students. Yes, <laughs> I will say it was hard on the students last year when I told them to, because we start talking about camps coming up because, you know, they need to reserve that whole week. There's no wedding. You can't, you know, you need to be there. And they were so disappointed. They were like, Mary, what can we do? And they even said, we'll go through the training. It doesn't matter. They just really wanted the experience. Like you said, they were just really gung-ho about learning. So it's really great to see. So with the success you saw after the scary Halloween event and then <laughs> the follow-up events, what what is what are you thinking will happen here in the upcoming summer? Um, well, we hope more of the same. We, mm -hmm. we definitely have a lot of campers and counselors that are very interested in participating. So we hope, and one of the things that we've, are, are trying to do is how can we give more support to those families those and those counselors, right? The, the counselors are stars in being able to use technology and bring into Zoom meetings all kinds of songs. They just blow me away watching how well they manipulate things to make it a more um, rich experience. But we need more support for those campers and those families that don't have all of that technology. So our thought is we're going to get out some low-tech boards. We're going to ship them all to each family that's signed up, right, so that they can model at least on the low-tech as well as the high-tech. Um, that's one thing. So, yeah. We, we decided typically our camp is a week long and we've looked at, you know, we even looked at trying to merge with our counterparts in Canada and doing like this really large AAC camp. So some of the frustrations that Anna and I've come into is not only can the difficulty in counting hours for our clinical students, um, but also, you know, the restrictions that we have related to um, telepractice. And even though we consider this a camp experience and we, we aren't billing insurance, you know, we aren't doing those therapy type activities, we are still speech language pathologists. And so the outside world sees that as therapy. And so the difficulty that we have in being able to put a big camp experience on is we have these telepractice rules and licensure rules across the state. So even though it seems like, oh, we'll do this virtually and it'll be so much easier, we really were coming into hitting a lot of roadblocks as we were moving forward, trying to plan something that would have been a similar experience. So that's where the mini camps is helping us here in Idaho and our campers. But unfortunately, we're not able to expand it to the larger community in the country. Right, right. I mean, I guess that makes sense um, because of the current way things are structured. But I hope one of the outcomes of the pandemic is for people to rethink of how that's structured, because does it continue to make sense, you know, uh, right. for, for that to work that way? And especially right. if we're denying people 
um, or making it a lot harder for people to have these rich experiences that you're putting together. So I'll get off my soapbox yeah. there and we'll, we'll, we'll solve that problem <laughs> on a different day. Yes. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about, um, like I said, if people are listening to this and go, well, okay, maybe I can't go to that AAC camp, but I can create my own. What would be some, um, considerations you'd have for them if they were putting something together. And it sounds like you already did this in some respects. You coached someone else through the creation of something like this. So coach us all through it. What, what would we want to be considering? So one of the big things is um, a location. Where are you going to hold your camp, right? Um, that can house kind of different rooms, breakout rooms, um, you want it cheap? Can you do it at a school? Can you do it at a university setting? Right? We we have been using universities so that we also have the dorm rooms available to us. That means that I need, as a, a clinical practicum person, I need to have somebody from the university a part of my team. And that's what we coach this parent on. Find somebody in your area that's part of the university. And we actually connected her to Karen Pollock, who is University of Alberta. And then Wendy Quatch also is up there, right? I know and Wendy. Yeah, exactly. And so when I went to the camp the first year, Wendy and I are teaching the family classes, right? So the parents that are there because they're overnight and their camp only lasts a weekend. So again, how long do you want to have it? If it's a day camp, maybe at least you need to have three or four days because you only start to gain momentum. And we hear this all the time. All the campers are going, but I was just getting good at it. I was just understanding what to hit to do and now the camp is over i'm like yeah we want to end on that high though we want to all have a good time and want to come back so so end on that high um and then so we we need labor right how are you going to get help with those campers you can't do it all and you can't run a group all by yourself so you, you need to enlist probably, for me, it was our AT project. It, it really helped. So your state AT project would be a great place to start. They have devices to loan from the lending library. They're often looking for program development. So they actually fund our ability or our trainings, our counselors. So counselors don't pay anything to come to our camp. Um, campers pay a very nominal fee. So how do you keep costs down, right? It, it costs a lot more money to be on the university campus. It, it's actually um, really hard in Canada because they're overnight and they're paying for a whole camp at the Easter Seals Foundation. But now they're gaining momentum. March of Dimes helps them and they have um, found some benefactors that'll, you know, Help supplement. Like their program, right? Mm -hmm. And fund them. And so you just keep talking and you keep finding those resources of people that are going to support your dream for how to do it. But I definitely find a partner. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, to reach out um, to the, you know, if you have lo local colleges or universities, whether it's undergrad programs for communication sciences 
or graduate programs. I mean, ASH has not required AAC as a course, unfortunately, but it's so important for us to educate those up and coming speech pathologists. So if you could find, you know, there's tons of undergrad and grad programs too. If you can find something like that, you know, they're really like, you know, they're people that want to learn and there's ways to do clinical hours and things like that to help them at both the undergrad and the grad level. Awesome advice. I think that, that that would really help people get started if they wanted to, to create a camp. Now, what are some of the barriers and pitfalls that you experienced over the years that um, you've had to overcome? Um, money was one of them, right? Funding. Mm-hmm. Trying to not burn out your camper during a day. Right. And so because most of the kids have medical issues, have um, feeding difficulties, how are you going to address those issues? I would say getting um, somebody that's either in nursing, a nursing student, a CNA, somebody that doesn't or like for years, we hired an aide from the schools that kind of helped manage the bathrooming and the um, feeding and the none of them take medication during the day that we had to handle but still that's something that's considered Um, having a registration form that makes sure you ask the right question so i've like shared my registration form and i'm happy to do that again as to what are the questions you ask? How do you get to figure out what kind of devices those kids are using and language systems? Because oftentimes they'll go, uh, I'm using, you know, a Dynavox. And I'm like, well, which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what language system is it? How, how many pictures on a page? Well, there's a lot of them. I'm like, well, right. can, we, can we hone it down a little bit more? Let's count. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that, that really facilitate the learning process for the counselors a lot better. Even you, right? Because then you know how to direct what kind of words. You can't say, let's all work on core words. And then you find out the child's on a basic level in Proloco to go that doesn't have any kind of core vocabulary available to them. Yeah, exactly. Or even if it was a core system and they come in with a different system and they're like, oh, for all of my experience has been practicing on Unity and now I'm over here on this system. What? Where are the words, you know? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> for sure. So, so training and getting everybody on the same page so that they can move forward and that really needs to be hurdled over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's a consistent effort every year because if you have different campers that are coming they have different systems and levels levels of expertise right Mm -hmm. and i would say marketing is always a challenge right how do you get the word out um i don't want to infringe on anybody's privacy so i try not to post too much on facebook but these days you almost have to post something on social media to have it get out Mm -hmm. um again maintaining that it sounds like a barrier that you have overcome though if if, maybe i'm I'm fantasizing this but you tell me is um getting counselors it sounds like you have a plethora of counselors that are signed up right that doesn't sound like an issue for you correct Mm -hmm. yeah 
And I think it helps too, like, you know, for, so we have about 20, between 18 and 20 students on our Meridian campus, which is here in the Boise area. And they're required, it's an actual placement for them. So they're required to do it. So that helps. But if you can, I know that, you know, we have people, like I said, you know, if we are able to advertise to other universities or to the schools, paraprofessionals, teachers, if they know in advance and they're able to come, they give up their time so that they can have the experience and best help their students, um, you know, within the school system as well. So what's some final words of advice you'd give somebody who is thinking about either coming to an AAC camp or who is thinking of creating one? Um, if you're thinking of having one, keep having the conversation. Um, don't let that dream die. Just keep talking. Eventually, somebody you talk to will say yes and and will, you know, be happy to partner with you and we'll have answers and call me. I'll be happy to support you in your dream. Um the if you want to come to a camp keep looking there are camps everywhere um it's just finding them i would say you know a lot of them are registered prc had a aac camp website practical aac had a aac camp website that a lot of people would either register their camps on or you know keep looking because they're out there um, and they're just have to be found, right? More, more every year, right, Ann? I mean, like you yes. said, you've been doing this for a couple yeah. of years now, and it seems right. like the, the number of camps that gr grow every time I go to a conference um, or participate in a conference, I see more people talking about a camp experience. So that's all signs in my, in my world that things are improving and there's more exactly. opportunities. Yeah. Exactly. So just keep looking. You'll find one. Mary, what, do you have any final words of advice here for people? I think from my standpoint, um, as the clinical educator, I would say, you know, what, whoever you bring in to help you, whether it's be students or high school students or other professionals, train them, like provide some sort of training. Don't just assume that they understand um, the world of AC and how that works. That would be one thing. And then the other thing that my students have um I think because Anna and I have tried really hard uh, to get more devices is the more exposure that they can have prior to interacting with the campers um, related to the communication software because they are they can be so different and there's so much out there. Um, the better confident I think you know the helpers will be that's helping you with the program and that in the end the more success that you'll have with exposing everybody to a solid experience with the ac you know Mary, say, you, oh go ahead ann i, I was going to say i i'd say i take carolyn musselwhite's um note of words in the air gone right the more visual right. that you can provide the more hands-on you can give them the better everybody is and that is great advice for AAC camp or AAC period, whether your schools or yes. anywhere. Like, I mean, the training experience and making it visual um, whenever you can, it's all just good stuff, right? Right. So one of the questions that I like to ask, especially when I have two veterans here, is to ask you what your... Um, 
what's your questing after now? Like what's got you curious in the world of AAC, even if it's outside of camps, just in general, you know, what has got you excited? What do you want to learn more about? What's some general thoughts you're having in the world of AAC? And you want to go first? <laughs> sure. So um, I am looking for that new technology, right? So uh, I want to know what's new for access. I want to know how can we speed AAC up um, because it's such a laborious process. That's what holds people back, that this is too heavy, too hard, too cumbersome, too slow, whatever. Um, what are we doing about that? And so I'm constantly looking for courses that can help me do, do that. And, and maybe new technologies, like you said. A new technology too. that helps that. So are you excited to like about brain interfaces? And yeah. Seen, yeah. <laughs> and something just, like I said, we're recording this in early March. There's something that just came out that I've got, has got me wondering about the possibilities is um, Microsoft Mesh. Have you heard of that? Like no. I said, they just released it, but um, not, well, they released a video, like a, a video on what it is, but it's um, sort of like, um, uh, so Microsoft has had this thing called HoloLens for a while, but it's like this augmented reality sort of experience. Um, so Google that, Google Microsoft okay. Mesh when we're all done. <laughs> I think you'll see it and be like, oh, I could see the possibilities here, especially when it comes to, to access um, and training, really, um, some kind of virtual training. Cool. So Mary, what about you? I think for me, um, I am passionate about educating, and it initially started with educating parents and family education, um, and how do I empower parents to communicate with their kids with AAC so that abandonment doesn't occur, but I think the more that I'm sort of in a different field helping with consultations and working with other professionals in camp, I think the education has broadened because for me, I was given a little bit of knowledge, but not enough to feel confident to pursue AAC when I was out for 11 years. I would always refer to somebody else. And I think AAC needs to be for everybody, not just one SLP to specialize in. I think we all need to be able to empower um, those that are working with AAC and just to have that knowledge. So if for me, I think it's more about educating. And the more that you can educate versus hold on to, no, I'm the AAC specialist and they can only come to me. I think the more people we can help. Mary, you belong on this podcast. That's exactly what we talk about too, how AAC is for everybody. Yeah. And it's not just one speech yeah. therapist. It's not just maybe even speech, no. the teachers. Um, we've yeah. certainly heard from parents on this podcast. And I think out in the community, like, well, I'm going to take the reins because, um, and, and we've even been saying that, um, again, you mentioned Caroline Musselwhite and her work with peers and other mm -hmm. students, mm -hmm. you know, let's get the other students involved and that it's, it's become something that's a culture in your school, in your community, in your camp, um, in wherever, whatever you're building, that it's just for everybody. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's super important, I think. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mary, let me ask you one question too. When you said about educating, real quick here, in the pandemic, how have you seen the education shift? You know, like, um, and I guess at the uni university level as well. Um, so for instance, let me just 
explain where my head is with that is that we've seen in, I work in the public school and um, mm -hmm. we've seen an uptick in uh, the, the way that works is that it's um, in the pandemic, our direct therapy model has sort of decreased and we've seen an increase in this coaching where it's more like parent, let me, let's talk about what you're doing there and let's get you up to speed. And still, I might consult where I'll give specific advice to a parent. Maybe you should slow down or maybe you should try this, but more of it's more of this reflective co coaching that we've been doing. And we've seen that the percentage of those sorts of experiences have gone up in the pandemic. And we, we count that as a good thing, as a silver lining. And I'm just curious, yes. is that is that paralleled in the university and when the, the educational experiences that you're sort of referencing? Yes, I think so. Like, and it's huge with our students where right now, like our clinic has been telepractice for, you know, since the start of the school year. So, you know, teaching the teaching the students how to coach parents is a huge part of our program. Um, you know, one of our professors, Christy, Christina Blazer, is big on coaching and telepractice. So, you know, the kids, the students get a lot of exposure to that. But being able to feel comfortable to pull in a parent, um, you know, now they have to. It's not a matter of now you have to pull them in from the waiting room. You have to utilize those parents in lots of different ways. So I do think, you know, from that education standpoint, it allows the students to have a different perspective of how to, you know, include parents. I tell people all the time, I grew as a clinician when I had to do home-based therapy and travel. Because I had to learn how to incorporate parents, siblings, everybody. And so this isn't the exact same, but there's still that sort of same feel that you have to educate and work with who you have there. Because especially like, you know, some, some clients that you might work with, they don't necessarily respond much to the face on the computer. They're going to respond more to mom who's right there in front of them. So that's definitely a huge piece to it. And Mary, the turnover rate, I mean, there'll always be different speech therapists, different teachers, but the family is much more consistent. So if we can get their oh. skills up. This yes. is so encouraging to hear that coaching is built into your program because I think yeah. most programs are still a direct therapy model. I will be the one that sort of does the intervention as opposed to I'm the one that helps you do the intervention, you know? So that's such an encouraging thing. That's great. Yes. I mean, if... I would say that if nothing else, COVID-19 has definitely thrown the telepractice model out there to where we'll never be able to not do it again, which is a good thing, right? We've been fighting for years, I think, to encourage telepractice, um, you know, and of course, bringing AAC into it is sort of, you know, there's this other level of how to incorporate, you know, devices and things like that through the telepractice. But yeah, the coaching is is a great, Huge. I think, yeah. um, not alternative outcome, a great outcome of COVID-19 is that that coaching and reflective coaching kind of comes out in the therapy sessions for sure. Well said, and I couldn't agree more. So unless there's anything else, I'm going to just want to say thank you, Anne. Thank you, Mary, for coming on the podcast. We appreciate your time. We appreciate what you've put together with these AAC camp and how this really could inspire other people to replicate your model. Anne, you mentioned some resources. Would it be okay if you sent those to me and we could post them on the um, on sure. the website so people can can mm -hmm. look at those and maybe help kickstart their own ideas in, in creating their own version of a camp? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ann Kohlmeyer and Mary Ann Donsel for coming on the Talking With Tech podcast. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.